Ready to go. All right, everybody, we're going to pause and have some silence for a couple of seconds, and then we're going to kick the show off. So just give us one second. Good morning. Sunday morning. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio. This is our two-hour live show that we put on every single week to bring you guys our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, trying to make sense of all the insanity, especially... Uh, this past week and also just breaking through the propaganda and giving you I don't know normal people thoughts is that kind of a thing now is like just being normal because uh, that seems to be lacking these days so it certainly does yeah so you know for the top of the show I'm going to have to start it off with uh, admitting to everybody um, I guess my map was wrong and I want to hmm <sighs> I want to figure out how to how to frame this properly because I don't want people to uh, think that I am uh, attempting to eschew responsibility. But I do want to point a couple of things out. Uh, my election map was incorrect as shown by the results we are seeing. But at the same time, my election map got copied, not actually copied, but three weeks ago, Four weeks ago, three weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I gave you my predictions on how I thought the race was going to come out when it came to this uh, this midterm election. I then created a map that was reflective of what I said a few weeks ago. The day before the midterm election, Real Clear Politics released their final assumptions on how they thought the midterm election was going to go, and their map for the Senate was an exact reflection of my map. Now, that's neat and all, but I want to remind everyone that the folks over at Real Clear Politics get paid for mm. their assessments. At the right. same time, the media was 
clutching their pearls and getting their fainting couches out and screeching about the threats to democracy. And my God, what are we going to do with the darkest of days? So someone explained to me how people who make millions of dollars to do predictions, how people who get who make millions of dollars to go in front of television cameras and talk about the news. Why did we all think that the Republican Party was going to get a Senate majority, potentially 53 to 54 seats in the United States Senate? How was everyone wrong? Good question. That's reason number one that I'm skeptical as hell of what's going, because understand this was a both sides were wrong thing. Now I know that history is being rewritten before our very eyes where Democrats are all suddenly like, Oh, her, der, der, where was the red wave? It's like, you guys were freaking out. The left was in panic mode, sobbing hysterically because democracy was over. It was over everyone because they were seeing the same things that we were seeing, but then somehow magically that turned out to be incorrect. I'm dubious. Agreed. Now, of course, last night or actually more appropriately early this morning, there was a call for a Senate seat. In Nevada, Adam Laxalt lost his Senate or lost his bid for Senate, which puts the control of the Senate in the hands of the Democrats. Once again, in the middle of the night, days after the election. Yeah. Now, for all of these people on the left who constantly want to talk about how sacrosanct democracy is and how concerned about democracy everything should be. It is it is the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of ever, oh my goodness, democracy. Mm-hmm. How? Why should anyone take any of our elections seriously when it takes days to count votes and when elections appear to be won in the middle of the night? Good question. Like you're not allowed to get upset that people think things are fraudulent when you literally cannot get an election done in a day when right. Everything's happening behind closed because that's the thing. That's what's happening in Arizona right now. Do you know, like Alan, do, do you know how many votes have been counted? Do you know how many are left? Do you have solid numbers? Do you know, do you even know the process? I do not. Honestly. No, it, it, it appears to all be happening behind closed doors once again. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to just trust this process. And need I remind you that the Secretary of State who's in charge of this election in Arizona is the Democrat who's running for governor. She gets to she gets to have oversight over her own election. Yeah, that's that at the very minimum, the fact that there is not any sort of recusal uh, from her, I feel like 
points to is at least so inappropriate it seems like it must be fraud. I I'm just like look, there's a lot that we can dive into when it comes to this election. Um I think here's here's the problem I have. I'm just I'm just gonna level with the audience here. Level. I could do oh, I could do the mea I could do the mea culpa of sitting there and saying, you know, I really should have considered how much the mail-in ballots were occurring. Um, there was actually some really insightful stuff that was said uh, when I was doing the election day uh, live stream, talking about people that had moved stuff I hadn't really considered when I when I did my analysis on the um, on the elections, right? Um, but at the same time, I can't account for things happening in the middle of the night. I can't account for, you know, ballot drops from mysterious places. And even if, even if the argument is, well, it's not really mysterious, it's drop boxes and it's mail in and it's, it's this mysterious number. It's this mysterious amount that just happens. People mail in ballots for however long they're allowed to mail it in. And then some, for one, one reason or another, they get counted after election day. Like they're, they're after the people who show up for election day, which immediately makes zero sense to me at all. Like why, why would that be, why would that be the way that this is conducted? I don't know if I lost Alan or not, but, um, Additionally, the other point is look at all the problems that occurred. I'm not suggesting fraud outright. I'm not suggesting it wasn't fraud either. Don't misunderstand me. But election day always pivots more towards the Republicans. We know that. And Maricopa County wouldn't pre-print ballots. And then all of their printers broke. And then they told people that they had to go vote somewhere else because, uh, you know, what it was some incredible amount. It was like 20 to 30 percent of their machines weren't working. And then people just couldn't vote there. Uh, there is absolutely a non-zero number, probably a large amount of people that showed up to vote on Election Day that ended up not casting a vote at all. And for the same party who practically had a stroke in 2018 because in Democrat Atlanta, people were standing in line and they wanted to talk about uh, voter suppression because people just had to wait in line. Well, let's talk about the fact that people couldn't even cast their vote. Is that voter suppression, Democrats? You seem to be really concerned about it, but maybe it's because Arizona, maybe it's because the Arizona voters were mostly white that you don't care. Is that perhaps the reason it doesn't actually matter unless, you know, unless it's like a minority group, then it can't, it can't be, is it like racism? You can't actually suppress the the vote of white people. It can only be if they were like, you know, they have to be black to have their vote suppressed. Is that maybe it works? I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm not comfortable living in a country where our elections are not decided the same day. I'm not comfortable living in a country where our candidates appear to be chosen in the middle of the night. 
you know, via mysterious, you know, some dark and mysterious process that I, I'm, I'm not allowed to know and or see. Um, I'm going to hit Alan up real quick and see whether or not he's still alive. Not that I can't do this on my own, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure where everybody in the chat, uh, is from. Uh, I know when we did our live stream, we got some people, but how did things work in your state? Because I know, I know for a fact that Arizona is the big one, but it can't be the only one. I know in Pennsylvania, they had issues. One of the things that I will bring up, because there's a lot of people that want to know how the hell somebody like John Fetterman actually won a Senate election and um, yeah. Oh, there you are. I couldn't hear you See? if you were responding at all. I, I've been responding the whole time. It's been great. Well, if you thought that I was angrily and meanly ignoring you, I wasn't. I just couldn't hear you. I know. Um, One of those weird little issues. It just pops up from time to time. And I'm going to blame the Democrats for interfering, not only in this election, but this phone call as well. <laughs> Megamax says Spamberger won one county in all of Virginia seven. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Abigail Spamberger, the former CIA analyst really? running as a Democrat. And, and once again, Virginia, right? All night, all night. I'm watching uh yes, Lee Vega in the lead the entire night. But then, oh, polls closed. Let's suddenly let's suddenly count all these mail-in ballots, and Spamberger pulls ahead and wins. Awfully convenient. Awfully convenient. Awfully convenient. I'm sure. I'm sure that everything was on the up and up, and it just so happens that Democrats are. I don't know. Lazy. Like, look. Everybody knows my opinion on mail-in ba balloting. If the vote is so important, it shouldn't be lazy. It should take effort. And no, you're not going to tell me that all the millions and millions and millions of people who voted are all crippled with diabetes and a club foot and, you know, can't possibly make it. To, no, that's bullshit. If we if right. we said anyone with a disability or a legitimate reason to vote by mail, you know, like we have for forever is allowed to vote by mail, it would be a non-consequential number. Right. It's. The fact that there is all this vote by mail, all of these ballot init, ballot issues, it all seems like the only purpose for it truly is fun. And everything they told us it was going to be for was all a lie. So Dan Bongino has a really interesting phrase for this kind of activity. He calls okay. it Sue to Blue. And, and I really like it. The idea is, is that everything is so subjective with mail-in voting and early voting and all this other nonsense, um, he calls it Sue to blue. If it looks like you're going to lose and it's taking forever for the count to come in, you can just suddenly throw the lawyers out there and delay the voting and then get judges involved and then legally go through and meticulously look at anything that came in by mail and say, Oh, I don't know about that one. Ooh, but what about that one? And you can literally Sue to blue. Got it. Got it. That seems and, like a good idea, analysis of what probably was exact, exactly what was happening. Well, that's why this stuff is so popular with the Democrat Party 
If it looks like they're getting behind, they can just start pulling out all this nonsense. I mean, like Arizona still hasn't been decided. It's 2022. Yeah. This is insane. And where the hell, like, look, I tried to be nice during the live stream when it came to some of the efforts that I saw from the Republican party, but it still clearly wasn't enough now. Well, let me, let me back that up a little bit because there, there is history here and we shouldn't, we shouldn't give in to being goldfish. And by that, I mean, just forgetting everything that happened. I will give you some numbers that are prescient in this. Um, if I can find them. <laughs> sure. So, so people understand what vote totals looked like in, in the past. I believe that George Bush senior in his midterm only had 44 seats. Okay. He only won 44 seats in the Senate. Similarly, um, it was something like 45 or 46 for Bill Clinton. For Bush Jr., he was able to get 50. Um, But for Trump's midterms, he had 53. So it is consistently that the United States Senate is the um, Senate pickups. Senate pickups haven't been like amazing when it comes to like, if you look at it from uh, it's always been very close by that. What I mean is like Barack Obama, I think only had a 51 seat Senate, you know, Joe Biden now has a 50 seat Senate. So by comparison, this actually isn't some sort of aberration. I don't actually have the numbers. Um, okay, but it, it's, it's not an aberration for the Senate to be close. And that's the whole point I'm trying to make here is we're looking at this like, oh my God, a 50-50 Senate, like the Republican Party is finished, we're dead. No, that's not true. Because a midterm year does seem to have either a close Senate or the opposition party uh, maintains power if they if they had already been in, op- or if there already was an opposition party. Sure. For, uh, for the perspective and one of the problems that I think we're running into a lot is the internecine war that's going on in the Republican party. Right. This is something we talked about heavily on our call as one of the, maybe not necessarily explicitly to blame for the poor Republican showing, but absolutely explains how that poor showing came to be. So it's it shouldn't be a mystery once you understand that a lot of what happened was instead of working hard to prevent the any sort of fraud, making sure the candidates were good to go, putting all of our effort into having being successful at the midterm elections, the Republican Party seems as though it was spending a lot more time almost at war with itself over who's actually in control of the party so it could never actually focus on real issues at hand and make any real headway. Yeah, this is a big debate that people are having right now is they, they you know, um, a, a lot of the GOP establishment types are trying to point at like, who was Trump funding? How come Trump didn't give money to this person or that person or what have you? 
other side of the coin is who was Mitch McConnell funding? Right. How come, you know, and, and so, so there's this laid out bare battle and it's the continuation of who's in control of the Republican party. And, and, right. and in reality, actually that that's almost doing it too much justice. I think Alan, because we, okay. we know what it really is. There is a group of people in the Republican establishment that want Trump gone, and that's the root of all of this. It has nothing to do with what would be best for the Republican Party. It has nothing to do with how we would have won this if only. It's none of that. It's uh, Trump has a weak spot because some of his candidates didn't do well. Uh, let's use that. Let's exploit that because we want to get Trump to go away. Right. right. And, that, and that, that's it. What You might agree with that. But should that have been the priority or, or should beating Democrats have been the priority? Because what it does look like is bitching, pissing and moaning about the fact that Donald Trump has influence in the Republican Party seem to be the priority of the Republican Party. Right. And that is very unfortunate. And OK, what do we mean by that? Well, things, for example, in the Alaska House race, you had Sarah Palin and another Republican and a Democrat on the ballot. The two Republicans on the ballot split the vote and the Democrat won, even though the Democrat got less votes overall than the two Republican candidates combined. So if all Republican voters had only had one Republican candidate, then they would have won the House seat in Alaska. But for some reason, the Republican party decided we are not going to pressure one of these candidates to drop out. We will let both candidates be on the ballot. And then they lost the seat. Yep. What, what serious political party does that? It's like the either the Republican Party has absolutely no understanding of the situation it finds itself in, which is po frankly possible, <laughs> or they actually are cutting themselves off at the knees for some stupid reason and it's hard to know what that is like, what would be so important that you would willingly sacrifice a house seat during joe biden's presidency right now when it's incumbent on you to stop a agenda that you claim is something you highly negative for your own voter base mm -hmm. and uh, again it's like you it's like they were more afraid sarah palin would win it who then they were afraid the Democrat would win it. Yeah. Well, and, and a, a lot of this was because of, so Lisa Murkowski, the Senator from Alaska knew that she was going to get primaried. And part of it was because she had sort of shown her stripes as being, you know, never Trumpy. And right. so Trump started pushing the idea of primarying her. She did get primaried by Kelly Shabaka. But the Alaska, the, but Alaska, which is a pretty solid red state, uh, voted to have a ranked choice primary. This was all the only logic for them to have a ranked choice primary was because Lisa Murkowski wanted to try to save her ass. The only reason why you would do that at all was so Lisa Murkowski could keep her Senate seat even if she was primaried. Well, at the end of the day, what has occurred because of this ranked choice primary nonsense that was all that was all dreamed up so Lisa Murkowski could stay in power is Lisa Murkowski will not be the senator for Alaska. It is going to be Kelly Shabaka, the Republican, who beat her in the primary 
or did well enough in the primary to stay in, she is going to win. But you mm. gave up a House seat, your one and only seat in the House of Representatives. You gave up because Lisa Murkowski was too selfish and too scared of losing power. A Democrat, There is a Democrat seat in a highly contested House of Representatives now, and it is entirely the fault of the Republican Party. It's entirely the fault. It, it is a full Republican state. They had a Republican legislature that passed ranked choice voting because Lisa Murkowski didn't want to lose her, didn't want to lose in the primary. That's it. The Republican Party gave a seat up to the Democrats in Alaska, and it is now very close in the House. There's only 211 seats. That's all that the Republicans have. It could have been 212. Right. Just that much closer to a House majority. You might have Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi might be the Speaker of the House because the Republican Party is in, is full of morons who allowed ranked choice voting in Alaska. And that's why a Democrat won. Congratulations. Right. Great job. Oh, and by, sorry. By the way, Mitch McConnell gave millions of dollars to Lisa Murkowski against Kelly Shabaka. Lisa Murkowski yeah. is not going to be the senator, but Mitch McConnell spent millions of dollars of your money, donor money, on Lisa Murkowski because... He wanted Lisa Murkowski more than some Trump-backed candidate. That's the only logic. Right. And I think what's, what this also goes to show is that the Republican Party as a whole is not, is not serious. The Republican Party establishment is not serious about victory in elections. Something about that is very strange, and I don't know why, but it shows that they feel more comfortable... Either they are totally misreading the situation in the country and feel that they have the luxury of letting Democrats win and that that is not going to hurt their own constituents, which I think is which to me is what a lot of this comes down to is, is the Republican Party serving its constituents by trying to ensure that these establishment candidates can grab power in the House and Senate over these MAGA Republican candidates? I think not. I think that they are their friend-enemy distinction is way off. They view wins by Republican candidates that are not part of the sort of establishment Republican Party that are what many would call pro-Trump. They view wins by those people as more dangerous than Democrats winning. But I would contend that the, the Republican voting base is much more threatened by any Democrat in office than any Republican. And to them, what they should be looking at is what candidates will get our voters out in force with a lot of excitement so that we, as a party, can have more control of the country than the Democrats. But that's not what they're doing, because what, what it seems like the Republican establishment is more focused on is stymieing and marginalizing Trump and Trump's influence on the party, and the now influence of people that aren't Trump, and maybe aren't even associated with Trump, but represent the same America first kind of policies that Trump got elected president on. And those people now, I'm sure the establishment Republicans paint them with the same pictures. That's Trump adjacent, and we can't have that in the party, because that ruins the, the political game that we've all been enriching ourselves off of. Well, I, I, I can tell you, like, 
I hate all of the debates that are going on and I'm not, don't, don't like misunderstand where I'm at on this. It's not that I'm, I don't feel any need to have to go protect Trump or protect his candidates or anything like that. That's yeah. not where I'm at in this thought process. I just want to make sure that people know that because, but at the same time for people that, uh, for any of the pundits out there that want to get into this, like stop, stop the infighting, like Mitch McConnell's a shrewd, you know, politician who's done great and we needed candidate quality and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to lay something out. If you were Mitch McConnell, you know, Trump's pissed at you. Everyone kind of knows that Mitch McConnell's sort of had a target on his back since 2020. That's not an unknown factor. So if Donald Trump picks a bunch of candidates that go out in primaries, like say Dr. Oz, Blake Masters, Adam Laxalt, like people like that. And then there's a Senate majority because of Donald Trump picked candidates. How likely do you think it is that Mitch McConnell would be the Senate majority leader in that Senate? I don't know. That's a very good probably, question. Probably not high, right? So it stands to reason that Mitch McConnell wouldn't want Trump-backed candidates to win their Senate races, regardless if that gives him the ability to be minority or majority leader, um, because he wouldn't be majority leader. And Mitch McConnell's not going to not want to lead the party in the Senate. So the question is, would he selfishly give up two years of Senate control so he can be the majority leader possibly in 2024? Probably. I mean, you just have to prove to me he wouldn't do that. I mean, I, I think he would do that. Yeah, but these pundits that are telling me that it's like, no, it was candidate quality. It was Donald Trump. It was all this. Okay, fine. Because the debate here, well, everyone's trying to figure out whose fault it is. There is also that whole, you know, this happened in the middle of the night, days later, that does yeah, need so, to be considered. Why are we yeah. ignoring all that? <laughs> there is a good, uh, I think a really good question. One thing we talked about on the last show was, the potential for fraud in this in the midterm elections, which I think is definitely there. When we, it'd be foolish to, it'd be foolish not to admit it or not to not to acknowledge that there is a high potential for fraud, because if we're going to say, on which I think with a lot of possibility that there was serious fraud in the twenty twenty election, there is no reason to think that that suddenly stopped and went away in the twenty twenty four midterms. Now, granted, the a lot of the COVID measures that the Democrats ran through that got them so much, that allowed them to have the fraud that they definitely did, or allowed them to pull off the fraud they did in 2020, some of those went away. But at the same time, we know what the playbook is because they admitted it. They, they told us what it was. It was the... It was essentially with mail-in balling, mail-in voting, and absentee ballots was a major way in which they pulled off fraud. And it's it's happening around the country. It is their playbook across the country for how they're trying to do these things. And that has to be some, that has to have accounted for something in many elections. I think Arizona, it seems highly likely. The problem right now 
on that assertion is that we don't have enough information to definitively say in which races what kind of fraud happened. We can allege, well, it probably sort of happened. But unlike 2020, which now with the benefit of hindsight and the revelations that have come out since, we can absolutely point to when, where, and how the fraud happened. Unfortunately, currently for the last midterms, we don't have that information yet. So while I would love to allege that everything was everything I don't like is fraudulent, unfortunately, we can't say that with any certainty yet. We can simply, we can say, well, there was probably a lot of fraud, but that's not as satisfying as I want it to be. That makes sense. Well, at the same time, I mean, for you don't get to, well, I mean, we can, of course, you don't get to look at 2020 and then turn around and go, oh my God, it happened again. Like, but what I'm, what we might be seeing, honestly, is I do think that there were a lot of guardrails that were put in place um, that benefited, that made it more difficult. And I think that that's why a lot of this is so visible. I think one of the reasons why Arizona is taking as long as it is, is because there was basically a brigade of lawyers that showed up the minute things started going wrong in Arizona. And that's part of the reason why it's dragging on. Like, it's stupid that it is dragging on. It is ridiculous that it is taking this long. But I think part of that is because there are a lot of eyeballs on the votes right now because the GOP, at least in some aspects, was smart enough to look at things and go, absolutely not. This isn't going to occur. Like we're, we're not, not, not again, you know, not, not this time Satan or whatever. Certainly. But at the same point, there were nine states that didn't change anything after they passed their COVID measures. Right. Pennsylvania has been able to, was able to vote for six weeks, which means that a lot of the really crazy stuff that came out about John Fetterman, where he needed somebody to transcribe a conversation for him, and he uh, some of those appearances that we played here on the show where it was just almost sad to yeah. see how how like cognitively impaired he is after his stroke. People had already voted by the time that stuff came out, which right. Let me ask, is the Democrat Party willing to say that it is okay for voters to be ignorant? Maybe. Because if you have six weeks to vote, why do you, no, just, why do you need six weeks? Just give me a good reason. Give me one good reason that should make me confident. Six weeks? Are we that lazy? Is it that much of an inconvenience to, you know, use your sacred right? You have to pick one or the other. Either it's so ungodly inconvenient to have your voice heard in an election that we have to extend it out for fucking six months. Why not? Just vote now. Vote for the next 10 years. Oh, God, you know, do the voting payment plan. I don't know. It's insanity to me. You need six right, weeks right. to vote. You shouldn't be voting if you're that lazy. 
It's just, it's, it's as simple as that. If you're that freaking lazy, your voice should not have the same weight as mine. If you're so damn lazy, you can't get your ass up and go vote. You need, oh, it needs to be mailed to me. And then somebody has to come to my door and tell me how to fill it out. And I need Netflix to tell me that it's voting day. Oh, like, no, you shouldn't count as much as mine. It's that simple. I think that all of those arguments uh, were, are and have always been a cover to allow them to perpetrate fraud in elections. I think that all the arguments about, well, you know, people, it's tough for them to get to the polls, X, Y, and Z. I think that those were never real. And I think they are, have always been a smokescreen essentially to push to perpetrate, to allow the rules to get changed in such a way that they can perpetrate fraud in elections. I dis- yeah, because- I dismiss the their, that argument entirely because I think it is wrong and I, I just I don't I don't agree I don't agree yeah. with it at all. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it is not a difficult assessment to make because anywhere that has any sort of guardrails when it comes to mail in voting. And early and absentee, all that nonsense. Any place that has any guardrails, you don't see these kinds of crazy things occur. It's it's just it's just that simple. It's right. Like Florida. How the hell did Florida Florida's the third populated state in the country? Right. Their election was done in two hours. And by the way, they did they did have early voting. They do have mail in voting. Right. But it's not a bunch of Democrats running it and being all shifty and weird. Right. This is what that's why I pretty much almost 100 percent feel like it's all been done. It's all done for the purposes of fraud. Yeah. Well, and, and it's on them to prove you wrong. Sure. Like, yeah. At, at this point, you don't get to sit there and be like, election deniers. Oh, my God. Election deniers. Okay, then uh, have a vote go properly. Just have it go properly. That's You had one job, Democrats. If you wanted to get rid of this entire, you know, weird election denial stuff that's such a threat to democracy, you had one job. Don't fuck this up. Oh, and but you, then you did. You still did. Somehow. There's races all, by the way, like Arizona is not the only place. There's races all over the country that still have not been decided. We still don't know who controls the House of Representatives, for God's sakes. Yeah. It's been almost a week. You had one job and it was show people that this could go right and have it not be weird and questionable. And you screwed it up, which means that's probably the intent. Right. This is why I absolutely contend that the Republican Party essentially lost the election because they were too busy trying to fight over, uh, you know, the legacy, the legacy of Donald Trump. Well, and I think it's absolutely shameful that that occurred. Do you never needed to needed to occur? Do you think the Republican Party really put its best effort forward to ensure that there wasn't any fraud? in this election when even suggesting that there may have been fraud in 2020 made you a Trump sycophant. Right. And I think it's, it's, it is the, 
that's a major component, at least to me. The fact that the Republican Party establishment absolutely denies, it goes so far out of its way to deny the any possibility that there was fraud in 2020 when it seems like there absolutely was. And it is to their detriment as well, which is also, to me, very surprising. It is to the detriment of the Republican Party to hold that view. But here they are essentially doing just that. Why would you be? Why would you do that? If you were a serious political party, any threat to any allegation of voter fraud is a serious threat to your to your power now and all into the future. It's it should have been taken very seriously, but I think that it was not because they because it benefited them. It benefited the establishment Republican Party because to them Trump was for some reason, a bigger threat than the Republicans. The Democrats, you mean? Democrats, pardon me. Sorry, sorry. Yes. So for some reason, Trump was a bigger threat than Democrats. And that is shocking, but maybe. But clearly that's the case. That's clearly how the Republican Party feels. Yeah. And I don't know, it's like inexplicable, of course, but, you know, like, and, and like I said, now now there's now there's the battle, right? The the social media types and some of the uh, uh, let's call them the pundits are are now demanding of the regular voters here uh, that you have to choose a side. You're either on Team Trump or Team DeSantis, which is weird because you could be on Team both of them. It's entirely yeah, up to you. Seem, it seems like such a bizarre way to organize things. Well, I think it's there's going to be a primary. Also, why would I be on? Why would I not be on Team Trump? Trump was the is the incumbent. He won the presidency. The only people that all the people that are telling me that I should be on Team DeSantis are the same traitors that that kept Trump from pursuing the agenda that we voted for. So screw them. I'm just I get so tired of having to deal with this. The traitors in the Republican Party that are trying to secure their own power rather than recognize the serious threats to the country, find a counter for them and deal with these problems. Well, and you know, that, that leads me into another thing that, that I want to bring up that I think the, the audience needs to, to always think about, you guys always need to keep in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of comments right now from the armchair quarterbacks during the whole election postmortem about candidate quality. Well, it's candidate quality. I want you to understand that that is insulting and offensive. Oh, you may not think it people might be shocked to hear that, but let me explain to you how this all worked because you're, a lot of people aren't thinking clearly. I, I'm shocked at how pervasive this statement is because it shows that nobody's actually thinking clearly about what that statement means and proves that they have a an ulterior motive. What okay. happened in every single state is they had a primary. So several candidates came up and said, I would like to represent you as a Republican in the upcoming Senate race or, you know, House of Representatives. And people went to the polls and they said, I want that guy 
to be the Republican candidate, or I want that lady to be the Republican candidate. And then the person who got the most votes became the Republican candidate. Okay. Which means that they were chosen by the people in a primary. So when they lose and Mitch McConnell and his ilk turn around and say, well, it was candidate quality that lost. They're saying you picked the wrong people, you idiots. They are white. They are washing their hands of any responsibility of getting any of these candidates over the finish line. And they're blaming you. That's what that means. When you bitch about candidate quality, that means that the GOP establishment is saying the voters were stupid and we didn't support who they picked. They should have picked someone better than we would have supported them. Because there right. is absolutely a direct line to candidates that Mitch McConnell didn't like not getting funding from the Senate Leadership Fund, which, by the way, its entire job is to take donations from the American people and put them and and spend them in a way that ensures the Republican Party's in charge of the Senate. And he did yeah. not do that. He did not fund certain candidates. And his excuse is, you didn't pick good enough ones. People in right. Nevada, right. you didn't pick a good enough candidate. You should have picked a better candidate. You should have made sure that candidate was Mitch McConnell approved. Yeah. That's what they're saying. That's what that means. And there's a lot of pundits that really want to bash on Trump or maybe just be popular and get on the DeSantis bandwagon um, that are parroting this line, this line that basically suggests that the Republican Party should be allowed to just choose candidates without voter input and gatekeep. Mm -hmm. That's what you that is what you are agreeing to when you agree to the message of candidate quality. It means that the primaries don't matter. And Alan brought this up when we were getting ready for the show this morning. It is the same thing that we heard with the Republican convention in 2016. Right. Where it was, if Donald Trump wins the primary, we as the Republican establishment need to ensure that he doesn't win in at the at the convention we need to essentially uh, what would it be we need to defy the will of our own voters to ensure that trump doesn't become the candidate even if he is who our voters pick and that when i saw that that told me a lot of what i needed to know about the republican establishment about the party as a whole about the people running it that they are not running it for the benefit of their constituents, but they are running it for their own benefit, and they are lying to us when they tell us that they are going to work for our needs. If that was the case, they would have listened to their voters when they picked Donald Trump. They would have thought, looked at Donald Trump's MAGA agenda at the, in 2016 and said, clearly that agenda needs to is popular, so popular with our voters that we got a guy elected to the presidency on that on those ideas. So those ideas need to be a core tenet of the Republican Party platform, and we need to change the platform to reflect those, those values, those ideas, those policies. And they didn't do that. They instead kicked their feet and cried like petulant children because 
the voters were doing the, doing something they didn't want. The voters were advocating for policies that the establishment didn't like, like mm-hmm. protect, like uh, economic protectionism, like America first. Not this, well, it should just be this internationalist, globalist thing that enriches all of our donors at the expense of America's long-term health. That's what the establishment Republicans wanted. And that is the ex- any reaction to that is exactly why Donald Trump won the primary. Anyway, I think what we saw in all of the all of these primaries is the, is the outcome of this sort of war inside the GOP, and it made it so that they couldn't win these they couldn't win elections that were theirs to win. I don't. This is why I was so confident that there was going to be a red wave. Is I looked at Joe Biden. I looked at his presidency. I looked back at the four years of Trump. I remember COVID. I remember the lockdowns. I remember essentially the almost forced vaccination programs. I look at how the military has been hollowed out. I look at how the economy has had all these issues. I got the rampant inflation, the war in Ukraine. We're sending billions of dollars. I look at the fail, the massive failure that is the growing failure that is the United States, the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan, the, the record high gas prices. I look at all of these things and go, you would have to be insane to support this agenda, these candidates, the people that are doing this to the country. If you're a Republican, how did you go four years of Trump and watch how much the Democrats lied? Watch how much, watch, look at all the, the um, erroneous and ridiculous impeachment proceedings. The, the whole idea of this deep state, that there are these groups working inside the government, working with the Democrat Party and the media to try and force political change outside of the normal mechanisms of power, that became absolutely unarguable during the Trump presidency and how anyone could look at all of this together and think, and especially if you're a Republican, then think, ah, I should just let the Democrats win. I should vote for a Democrat. I should let a Democrat candidate win even if I don't like the Republican candidate. That seemed so insane to me that I was um, felt so certain that lots of Americans would come out in force and vote for Republican candidates, or at the very least, not vote for Democrat candidates. And then the GOP, and granted, there might have been lots of fraud, and I'm sure there was. So that absolutely is part of this conversation. But the GOP is on the hook for not countering the fraud they knew was going to happen, and for screwing it up for themselves. And I think maybe that is my biggest annoyance is now I look on it and go, the thing that I was not taking into account when I made my predictions for the midterm elections was I was not taking into account how stupid the GOP was. I thought I knew, I thought I had a good handle on that, but then it, it I, but I did not fully recognize the, that the GOP leadership was more focused on fighting the insurgent movement of um, the America first inside its own ranks and trying to cut that off at the knees rather than fighting the Democrats. And I thought they would be stupid not to. How could they have looked at the last four years of Trump and not see if we ever get our guy in office again? They'll just lie about him and screw over his agenda. There were, for example, there were 202,894 people in Georgia that voted for Brian Kemp for governor, but didn't vote for Herschel Walker 
as their senator. Wild. Yeah. And that would have given a Senate seat to, uh, that would have given a Senate seat to the GOP. So there's 202,000 people who in Georgia, for one reason or another, were like, oh, I really want to have a Democrat governor, but I don't care if the Democrats, or I really want to have a Republican governor, but I don't care if the Democrats win. Yeah. Now, similarly, taking a look for for fun. Okay, so this is a quick question. Why wouldn't, why do you think that happened? Why did Republicans in Georgia want the, the Democrat to win? Well, so what what I do know is that some of the popular pundits and every everything that live in Georgia clutched at their pearls obsessively over uh, Herschel Walker because he was a Trump pick. There's a there's a contingent of people in Georgia that were super butthurt over the fraud claims, super butthurt over. Uh, Trump going after Brian Kemp and and Raffensperger in Georgia for not like enforcing what was going on in Atlanta. Remember, Atlanta had the middle of the night, you know, ballot openings and uh, you know pipes bursting at election centers and all this other weird stuff. And Trump brought up like you need to investigate that. You need to do a recount. And there was basically kind of a a battle between the two of them. And mm. Trump. Ran, uh, Trump primaried Brian Kemp. He ended up that his candidate lost the primary. But at the end of the day, uh, that war carried on. There's a lot of the the I would say that it is likely that the Georgia GOP, uh, the the GOP establishment in Georgia is pretty solidly never Trump. And so, and Herschel Walker was like Trump's guy. So they probably spent time convincing Republicans that Herschel Walker was just a bridge too, too far and we should just let the Democrats win. Same thing, by the way, when you look at Nevada, Nevada's another house seat um, that they just called for uh, Masto, the Democrat. There were 6,792 people who voted for a Republican governor, but did not vote for a, uh, for Blake Ma- or for Adam Laxalt. I'm sorry. I guess I just thought that your average Republican voter would have been more awake than that. It's definitely weird. <laughs> Like definitely is weird. I, I now I don't have a good answer for that. It seems like it seems like the height of madness to sit there and go, well, I don't really like that Republican guy. So the Democrat should just win and then push through a policy that is going to be intentionally designed to hurt me. Now, I guess or, or but maybe maybe a bunch of Republicans don't don't see it that way. Maybe they look at Democrat candidates and go, I'm sure that guy will do a good job. And in no way will this uh, negatively impact my life for in the future. In no way is, will I'm I'm sure they're there. Look at all of the other successes that Democrat policies have in other places. I want that for me. 
or I'm not going to mind it if all of those wonderful things come to fruition where I live. Now, just just to make sure that I show the landscape properly, when we look at the Nevada Senate race, it was not just two parties running. The Libertarian Party had Neil Scott. The IAP, I'm not sure what that is, had Barry Rubinson. Mm -hmm. And then the NPD had Barry Lindemann. So just so you're aware, the Libertarian got 6,242 votes. The IAP candidate got 5,078. And the NPD candidate got 7,840. So those are all votes that would have really changed it. But by the way, none of those candidates were the number three vote. Really? I am not joking when I tell you. The number three candidate that got 12,070 votes, a very healthy chunk, and would have absolutely secured a win, let's say, for Adam Laxalt, or would have solved the Nevada Senate on the day of. The candidate that got 12,070 votes in Nevada was none of these candidates, which is a choice on the ballot. Fascinating. <laughs> None of these candidates got a higher vote than any of the other parties, which it's just, by the way, just for fun, because we, you know, this can't all be so gloom and serious just for fun. I want to point out that the libertarians lost to nobody. Not surprising. Like yeah, the the I'm I'm trying to remember. I think it was Nevada, right? Isn't that isn't Neil Scott the guy that was like, we really need to be talking about age of consent? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That was the guy. It's like, <laughs> like really? That's gonna be your that's gonna be your rallying cry? That's no, please please don't please don't be that please way. No. Please, please, but at the same time, no. what do you expect from libertarians? Yeah, it's just. Um, for all the people that are like the two party system, really guys, blah. like just so you're aware in Nevada, literally none of these people ranked higher than any of the third parties. Yeah. Like you're going to have to do better than that. If you're going to, if you're going to shill about the two party system, you're going to have to do better than that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, it's like I said, it's not all doom and gloom. And I do think that we are being forced into a situation where the uniparty, as it's called, is who benefits the most from us throwing ash on our face and and saying it's all over. And so I do want to point out some interesting numbers that are very positive. Real clear politics in their live results does a what they call the generic national house vote. And what that is, is they take all of the candidates and they go, okay, this is how many Republican votes happened in the United States. Here's how many Democratic votes happen in the United States. Mm -hmm. Listen to these numbers. The Democrat vote was only 46.7% to the Republican vote which was 51.4. Democrats got 47,303,066 votes. Republicans got 52,085,864. Hmm. 
Republicans across this country are more popular. The Republican Party is more popular than the Democrat Party. Because remember, the entire House of Representatives was up for a vote. Not every senator was up for a vote. Only half the Senate. So right. if you want to get a gauge of where the country's at, yes, I understand. It's the, the House election looks crazy. The Senate is still in Democrat hands. What the hell's going on? The raw numbers show the Republican Party is more popular across the spectrum of the population in the United States. In fact, they increased by 4.7%. Oh, well, that's good. That is a sizable increase. So I do think we we've I mean, we can absolutely point out some of the dumbassery, like how the hell, did, why, why in God's name would you vote for Brian Kemp, but then be like, I'm going to let Raphael Warnock win in the Senate. Yeah, that's that ridiculous. Especially because one of the, one of the most popular things about Brian Kemp in the, in Georgia was he passed an abortion law, a six week, um, heartbeat law. Yeah. That was one of the things that made him absolutely popular. But then you're going to hand the Senate over to a guy who's going to be able to vote to nullify all of that with federal legislation. Oh, you guys are so smart. That's it, it's this. OK, this is why I was so confused. Look, watching this thinking, no, no rational person or maybe I would say clearly <laughs> rational people will be make not making that decision because. People they trust, people they trust are lying to them because they want Mitch McConnell to keep being the Senate majority leader. They want him to be, they want him to be the Republican leader in the Senate. Why? And so they lie. Because they're Why all part of that Why is that, that so important they're, to anybody? Because, because when the unit, when, when the GOP establishment is in control, those people make money. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back. Like a really good example. Let's talk about Eric Erickson. Eric Erickson is a guy who used to fill in for Rush Limbaugh. He has a radio show in, out of Atlanta, Georgia. He is based in Georgia. He is a solid never Trumper. He lost a sizable amount of his influence and his audience because he was a never Trumper. Good. When 2016 happened, he got so wrapped up in the like, whoa, gosh, I just if you're a good Christian, you wouldn't support Donald Trump. Oh, geez. He lost a whole bunch of his influence. He lost a lot of his power, which means he also lost likely a lot of money. But, but if Mitch McConnell, if Mitch McConnell types, the Liz Cheney, the Adam Kinzinger types take the Republican Party back over, he might be ascendant. Because the mm. neocons will rise again. Oh, I hate it. Okay, so essentially what you're saying is a lot of a lot of people that were never Trump have a vested interest in ensuring that there are not more, that the America First candidates are a minority of the party and are a marginalized group within the Republican Party because then they will be back in the good graces of those within power. Basically, like palace politics is what we're going to blame here. Yeah. Well, like, think about it. 
it's we all love the the America first stuff because of how much it like owns the libs, let's say. That's the accusation we get is like they'll vote for these people just because they own the libs. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah. But like, why do we like that so much? Like, do you well, we like seeing the thought brought to the left, but do you know what America first is the best at destroying? What's that? Neoconservatism. Yeah. Because neoconservatism yeah. is pro is diet progressivism. Right. It's just progressivism with half the calories. Yeah. Well, and it's it's globalism at the at the end of the day. Yeah, at the end of the day, like it. it destroys globalism, which is when you have uh, when you have some of these other commentators that refer to things like the Uniparty. That's what they're talking about. Right. It's there nationalism is, versus globalism. Exactly. And right. there are absolutely globalists in the Republican Party. That was the entire Bush presidency. I, I would argue that's the entirety of the neoconservatism. Neoconservatism is basically global. It's like conservative globalism. Economically conservative globalism is essentially kind of how it goes. But it's, it's almost it's free more market tiring. socialism. Yeah. Free market socialism. That's a good way to put it. I, I, well, no, but but one of the primary influences of neoconservatism is really your battle needs to be for the 3% of the independent vote. You've got to move towards center, which, by the way, lost two yeah. presidential elections. John right, McCain so lost, Mitt Romney lost, but then they're like, we would have so much better. Right. It's essentially propping up like this idea of the global American empire, and it sacrifices everything at home to ensure that this global American empire remains ascendant. And I think that is why I disagree so heavily with neoconservatism is because it sacrifices America to ensure American global hegemony, but not in a way that is beneficial for Americans at the end of the day. It's beneficial for the donors to the neoconservative movement. Well, yeah, it, it, because we wouldn't want to like stifle trade with communist China because trade with communist China makes me money. Yeah. Like, but I know it's bad that we're outsourcing all these manufacturing jobs and putting ourselves into the ability of having a massive supply chain crisis. But what about my profit margins? Right. That's, That's neoconservatism. That is, yeah. I mean, I... I remember in 2015 listening to Ben Shapiro defend that. Mm -hmm. Like listening to the argument from Ben Shapiro about how stupid uh, tariffs on China were because do we really want to be making t-shirts in America when we could be making laptop computers? And I'm yeah. listening to this going, why can't we just make both, Ben? Uh, ben, we don't make laptop computers in the United States either. <laughs> well yeah there's that too you know we outsource like, that shit too idiot you know yeah like according to shapiro it's like well what what wouldn't we what according to these neoconservatives like well what shouldn't we outsource if it's cheaper somewhere else food production everything then that's what they'd say is everything well we'll just keep buying stuff and you're like okay well what if what if china say doesn't want to export high-end computer chips to the united states in the future well then we just have a giant military and go to war with them okay well or we just sidestep that issue entirely and we don't export all of our important industries. 
don't understand. That doesn't make sense. Then it's more expensive to buy a laptop. Okay? But then we don't end up crippled by trying to maintain this global American empire that's held together with force and violence. <laughs> well, you know what else makes things more expensive, Alan? Uh, spending ourselves into oblivion resulting in 8% inflation just to try to keep these relationships going. Yeah, because we are... I mean, once you've established that scenario, uh, the imperial scenario of the center and the provinces, roughly, the center then is is beholden to the provinces. You have to maintain that system. And if the provinces pull in a direction, the center gets pulled along with it. So yeah. you have it's like if China decides to do something, our trade and industry is so reliant on China that we now are forced to react and that's not a good scenario to be in it would be better if we were not forced to react to what the chinese did if we could instead only interact with china in ways we choose not ways we are forced to and because right. we've exported so much of our critical industry and the mechanisms that keep the country running the organs of the of america that keep america healthy and functioning have all been exported we now have to play desperate rearguard actions to ensure that those things don't get taken away from us, causing economic and civil turmoil. Uh, you like know what's how... amazing? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, the, the same people who were uh, whining about, quote, economic protectionism and crap like that are also the same people that are saying, it's ridiculous that we don't drill for oil here. It's like, dude, this can literally lie for everything yeah except yeah. for some weird reason you look at oil and you go it's dumb that we don't drill it here and it's like yeah it's also dumb that we don't make steel here it's also yeah. dumb that we don't make computer chips it's also dumb that we don't grow like we grow food and then we ship it to other countries and then import food from other countries this is all stupid why the hell do we work this way and they go but the free market yeah what and the, the only reason it's any of this is cheaper is it's cheaper because of the imbalance between these countries. If China had the same worker protection laws and environmental regulations as the United States, it wouldn't be cheaper to make things in China. So it's it's not even that things are cheaper to make there because you still have to ship it on a boat. It's that they can bypass the laws that we all agree are just and good, such as worker protection laws, environmental regulations. These things are a are a good thing to have. And it's only cheaper to make in China because they can bypass it. So at the end of the day, it's like, well, wh what are we doing? Like, why are, why do any of this? I I think a lot of the arguments for these free, free trade, free market nonsense is essentially selfishness. It, it's just pathetic selfishness that masks itself in virtue. Well, you know, we're given great jobs to a bunch of Vietnamese people when they're making those t-shirts in a sweatshop. Like, <laughs> yeah, but now they have to work in a sweatshop and that's not good. How is that situation? My, my, my constant refrain on any of this is how, what does this system look like in a hundred years? Is this system good in the long term? And what is going to be necessary to maintain this system from breaking? I think this globalist mindset on we're going to export everything to everywhere relies so heavily on this massive uninterrupted supply chain 
and then builds it just builds so much fragility into the system at the cost of t just temporary gains that it seems like a bad idea in the long term and i think it is better to take a higher cost in the short term to ensure more stability in the long term and that is at least a worthwhile trade-off at some level but i'm what we're told it's no no no. it's 100 globalism all the way or you're some sort of magatard <laughs> well so somewhat in reference to some of that and kind of kind of kind of getting re reining in the idea of what's to happen now um joe biden was asked if he was going to change anything because exit polling showed that 70% of Americans thought that the country was headed in the wrong direction. And so a reporter asked what he would change at this midterms. Now, by the yeah. way, the, the Democrat party, because they were so doom and gloom are now riding a high, like they did amazing. Even though they didn't like, right. They didn't make any serious gains. There's one house, there's one flip in the Senate. Uh, right, so by the way, explain that real quick, because a sure. lot of people look at this and it has all these doom and gloom predictions on both sides. But like you were telling me, when you look at the numbers at the end of the day, nothing's really changed as far as the overall status of the country, which maybe we wanted it to change, but it's not like things have gotten worse. Yeah, like the Senate's the same. You as know, a number of seats by either party. Correct. The Republicans are gaining in the house but i don't know whether you know we we don't know um we we honestly have no idea how far that's going to go but at the same time there were so many gop pickups mm -hmm. the well, like in the house republicans picked up eight seats in the house of representatives cool but some of those, and, and it's one thing to gain eight seats, but like they, they picked them up from Democrats, some incredible numbers, like mm -hmm. a pickup in uh, Arizona, 54%. Another pickup in Arizona was uncontested. Gosar didn't even have a Democrat that wanted to contest against it. Some of the other numbers like Florida had an amazing amount of, of pickups. Uh, one of the Florida district seven, 58% was the, was the win 53%, 63%. Those are the Florida pickups that, that is the turnaround. That is a seat. That was a Democrat seat that was picked up by a Republican. The Republican won by 63%, 53%, Georgia, same idea. Weirdly enough, GOP pickup in District 6, 62%. Iowa, GOP pickup, 50.3%. That's not as big a one, but 50.3%. I'm just, there's there's only a few more mm -hmm. that I have to scan. Sure. Um, Michigan, uh, Michigan District 8 finally swung Republican, and that was uh, uh, James, the guy that ran for Senate. Um, in, uh, 2020, he ended up picking up a house seat, 52% in New Jersey. There was a New Jersey GOP pickup and New York had pickups, 
54% District 3, 51% District 4, 50.4% District 17, 51.1% District 19. Those are all GOP pickups in the House of Representatives for the state of New York. Wow. Oregon had a 51.1% pickup in District 5. Uh, Tennessee, well, Tennessee had a 55% pickup. I'm surprised there's a Democrat in Tennessee. Uh, Texas had a 53% pickup with uh, District 15. Um, Virginia, we had a pickup at 51.9. And then Wisconsin had a 51.8% pickup there. I wanted to see if there were pickups in California just real quick. It doesn't look like it. It looks like California is just stable. GOP hold, you know, Democrat hold. Not by many, but there's still a couple outstanding as well. But those are pickups that have occurred. Those are large margins. It is not all doom and gloom. In fact, a lot of it is status quo right now. The Senate is the same Senate. The Democrats were in control of the Senate before. The Democrats are in control of the Senate now. The Republicans might be in control of the House, or it's going to be super close. Maybe the Democrats still control the House. That's business as usual as what we saw before. At the same point, my biggest fear when I thought that there was going to be a red wave is great. Now Joe Biden is going to just blame the Democrats for all or blame the Republicans for all of his failures. Who the hell do they blame now? Right. So that is the silver lining of all of this is that we, the Democrats have primed the country for economic turmoil Yep. And economic and political turmoil, I would say, both on the nas- national stage, the international stage. And so there was a frustration, a worry. There's like, well, if there is this red wave, we're going to have to deal with people going like, oh, my gosh, we're in a recession and the Republicans are to blame. Like, no, it's Joe Biden. Like, that's the like you guys were fine with the over the gas prices go, being up under when, you know, earlier. But now that Republicans took the House and Senate. Oh, now, now it's a problem. So luckily we don't have to deal with that nonsense. Well, so there is a silver lining of as things get worse and any sort of recession, any sort of increase in gas prices, et cetera, it all has, is going to be laid on, on Democrats and it is going to be laid on their policies. So that is a nice thing that, by 2024, we will be able to point to a long string of Democrat failures, and there is going to be no argument that Republicans could have done something but didn't. Well, and uh, to to the point of the silver lining, um, there were, when you look at some of the local races that occurred across this country, oh my God, like... School, a, a very interesting one because it's so, it's normally just such a who gives a damn kind of race would be like school boards. There was an insane backlash at the local level right. on school boards. Candidates that were supported by like the teachers unions and supported masking and CRT and transgenders like, you know, stuff in elementary schools right they got completely steamrolled basically if you were a school board candidate and you were like yeah we shouldn't uh put porn in our libraries and we shouldn't have drag queens reading stories to children 
and uh, wrapping them in masks and making them stay at home was dumb. Those people won. And I know that people don't want to look at it this way, but uh, there's only one political party that supports those stances. And it's not the Democrats. That's very true. So maybe it has to get worse before it gets better. Because Mm -hmm. how the hell are the Democrats going to solve Ukraine? They can't pin it on the Republicans. How are they going to solve inflation? Mm -hmm. How are they going to solve the supply chain? They don't have solutions for these things. They basically set the country on fire and now they're going, oh shit, how do we put the fire out? I mean, honestly, it's the Antifa riots all over again. They sent their people out to go riot. They burned down a bunch of cities and now they're looking around going, well, what do we do now? Yeah. So that's nice. That is a that is a positive. So the, I guess the way forward after this is we now have carte blanche to point to every failure and continue collapse of America and say, this all needs to be laid at the hands of Democrats. That's a nice thing to be. That's a nice place to sit. Even if we don't have political control of the House and Senate, it primes us very well for 2024. It certainly does. I, I, I very seriously don't see how 2024 doesn't look great in reference mm-hmm. to not only the presidential run against somebody like Joe Biden, but I mean, how long until John Fetterman has to step down? Yeah. How, oh, yeah. You know, like if Carrie Lake becomes the governor of Arizona, mm-hmm. she's going to fix everything that happened with the election. We still have a runoff in Georgia that's going to be interesting to watch and that's going to have to become that to be honest this is actually a really good thing that this runoff is occurring in georgia because it becomes very much a put up or shut up situation with the republican establishment if you were serious about having a fit because that would make it a 50 50 senate so if you're serious about having any sort of hope against joe biden's agenda you need to back herschel walker are you going to do it or would you rather lose to the Democrats, give them a majority that doesn't need to be broken, uh, give them a majority that doesn't need to be broken by the president just just because orange man bad? Right. And this is what this is what I hope comes out of this, because I think what we saw, the reason there wasn't a red wave is because the GOP establishment was basically at war with the MAGA Trump supporting side of the the Republican Party. And I think, I hope there is a introspection on this election showing at those levels and say, listen, guys, we need to stop getting in our own way and learn how to work together or else we will continue to lose political representation to the Democrats, which our voters are increasingly getting paranoid about. And I would imagine, I would hope if you were a Republican congressman or senator, you would look at the increasing power of the Democrat Party as these people will stop at nothing to attain complete political dominance, and they and inevitably they will be a threat to me and my power. Which, hey, we're going to say the the elites of the GOP only care about their own power. Well, at right. some point, the Democrat Party is more going to be more of a threat than any MAGA Republican or someone outside the establishment. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think so. 
at least. Mm -hmm. But I would like to think so. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes I honestly, I very seriously wonder. Sometimes I seriously wonder. Yeah. Um, What, what else, what else went on this week? There's got to be more than just the election. Well, in a, in a move that was both stunning and brave, Sean Penn traveled to actor <laughs> Sean Penn traveled to Ukraine and presented the president of Ukraine, the heroic Zelensky, with his Oscar because he was more heroic and deserved it more than Sean Penn. That's a so an that's an award you get for acting. Actor is Oscar. Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's he, an award you he get was for given acting. an Oscar for his role acting as the president of Ukraine. <laughs> like, I mean. It's so cringy. Yeah. It, 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 I, I, I know that people get annoyed by it when I say like, this is all theater mm-hmm. and, and not because it was an Oscar, but it's just, you had the cameras there. You did it. So you could get that on camera. So you could do it. So you yeah. could show people that you did it. Exactly. This is supposed yeah. to, this is supposed to be a war. It's supposed to be a war, an invasion. This is yeah. supposed to be a bloody invasion, a horrific war. And you're meeting up and handing the guy an Oscar with a bunch of cameras around. Um, the war's not that bad if a bunch of celebrities keep traveling to Ukraine. Right. Full it's, stop. And it, this is what's hard to know. There's part of me that looks at the situation in Ukraine, and it seems kind of like World War One, where there is a intense grinding conflict, but it's it is constrained to a relatively small area of the country. the The, the front line is a, this grinding attritional warfare, but then the rest of the con- country is fine. So, for example, you know Paris in World War One. There was no war in Paris. It was out there in the trenches and life carried on pretty much uninterrupted. It seems like for at least a part of Ukraine, that is true. Now, granted, the, the counterpoint to that is there are there have been a large in the last couple months, a new Russian general took over. And part of his new campaign strategy was extensive cruise missile attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure in safe areas. So a lot of a lot of power plants have been knocked out, leaving a lot of Ukraine without power. Again, it's hard to know the reality truly on the ground. But if clearly, it, if Kiev was not safe, celebrities wouldn't travel there. They would be meeting Zelensky in Poland or meeting Zelensky in areas that wouldn't be under the imminent threat of Russian attack. So clearly there is at least enough confidence that celebrities and politicians and all these people can go visit Zelensky in Kiev and not be at risk of dying in a Russian attack, that it makes me feel like what we're being told by the Ukrainians, it's this this absolute desperate, they need every dollar and bullet we can spend, blah, blah, blah. That does not seem to necessarily be the case. It also does not seem to be the case that the Russians are absolutely steamrolling the Ukrainians. But again, all of this stuff is really hard to tell, so we can tell from how people act. If Sean Penn's going to Ukraine, the situation clearly isn't that dire. That's what I have to say about Ukraine. There was a big retreat by the Russians from an area called Kherson, which apparently was ha- was hailed as this great Ukrainian victory. 
that may be true, maybe not be true. It's so it's always hard to evaluate these things in the moment because I can imagine a bunch of people in 1945 saying the Germans have surrounded Bastogne and pushed back the American forces. It's over for the American advance into Germany. Only for a couple months later, if that to be completely reversed. So, I am any more holding back on on uh, sort of hope casting on this conflict because a lot of these things reverse within a couple of months. But clearly, the situation in Ukraine is fine enough that American politicians feel and celebrities feel safe going there for photo ops with Zelensky. Well, and not, yeah, not to mention the fact that like you there's so much propaganda out there because I remember showing it to you a while back. We didn't br really bring it up on the show before, but like just trying to go over casualty numbers. Um, oh, very hard. Oh, no, there was where what was that? There was some casualty reporting thing. It was like an official journalistic out, out outlet that report was when you look, tried to look up Ukrainian casualties. They right. they said Ukrainian casualties are zero because heroes never die. And it's like, yep. I'm sorry, yep. you're an official information source. You that's that cannot be your your answer. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah, it was heroes don't die, but it they also that same that same uh, group was reporting that there was something like two hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand Russian deaths, and I think the actual number, the official number, is like maybe a hundred thousand. Yeah, and so it's, it's just that's the problem. It's all bullshit. Anytime you yeah. try to look it up, it's all bullshit. And I'm so sick of, I'm just sick of the lying. Like, well, one, yeah. I'm sick that you're trying to force me to care about this. Two, I'm sick of the fact that you have to lie so much to do it. Agreed. Um, go on, go on, uh, Alan. Well, I guess uh, to, to keep talking about Ukraine, I think that's part of the part that is the most frustrating to me and makes it very clear that, that that has again it's it's like covid my take on covid the covid vaccine etc was only afterward justified with say the science where it, oh like the some doctors interviewed the vaccine clearly gives people myocarditis or covid you know these the scientific investigation of covid shows that the newest variants aren't really that aren't are less lethal and not that big a deal if you're young and healthy getting plenty of zinc and vitamin d you're fine that's my position now, but my initial skepticism that made me think I'm not getting the vaccine and I am not caring about COVID anymore was simply looking at how the people that I know lie all the time and call me their enemy reacted to the situation. They wanted me to shut down my life and just basically, they wanted me to shut down my life and not see my family and do all these things because COVID was such a big deal. And I went, no, you people lie about everything else. I'm pretty sure COVID's not that big a deal. And it's the same thing with the COVID vaccine. They were screeching to ice heaven saying I should be put in a camp because I refused to take the vaccine. And that more than anything made me feel like, you know what? Nope, it's gotta be doing something bad. I'm never gonna get it simply because you people want me to. And it's similar with Ukraine. These same people want me to be, want me to, put up a Ukrainian flag and show my support for Ukraine, be so, oh, the evil and hate the Russians so very much. And I don't really honestly have to know anything about the conflict anymore. I just simply have to go, wait, who wants me to care about it? Oh, the, the Democrats and the like globalist, global left-wing agenda? 
No, no, I'm going to be on the other side. Russia's probably, I want Russia to win. And honestly, that metric has so far been 100%. I'm in one for one, 100 for 100 on that. It's like every time they want me to do something, I just do the opposite. And it seems like that turns out to be the best way to do things. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree to be completely honest with you. I mean, mm -hmm. and why would I? Um... Exactly. Like, for example, Ukraine. They want me to care so much about Ukraine, think it's this big, horrible thing, and all the Russians are so evil and bad and just invaded for no reason at all. And that immediately makes me go, you're lying. You lie about everything, so you're probably lying about that. Let me look into this and figure what the real truth is. Oh, Democrats have Democrats and the and a lot of these globalist politicians, people in the UN, people in the European Union, all of these global elites. Oh, they all have huge history of corruption and corrupt business dealings all with inside the Ukraine, all for, for some reason. Ukraine comes up every single time. Wait, Ukraine was the biggest source of donations to the Clinton Foundation? Wow. Like, wait a minute, Joe Biden's son was employed by the same oligarch who backed Zelensky's run for office? Oh, you don't actually care about Ukraine. This isn't a hu some horrible human rights thing. Oh, this is you, you people were bleeding Ukraine dry through a bunch of political corrupt nonsense, and you're just trying to cover that up. And you're telling us to care because you want your little corrupt playground back. Yeah, even okay. the most... Even the most recent news that we've seen with this weirdness that's going on with FTX, which is a cryptocurrency exchange that has now gone bankrupt and people are demanding an investigation. The hmm. kid who's in charge of it, his mom is a huge Democrat donor. She started a whole bunch of get out the vote um, donation schemes with the Democrat Party. She was a huge backer for Joe Biden. Then suddenly her son starts up some weird cryptocurrency exchange, basically becomes a billionaire overnight. And there's even talk that some of their money was being funneled through Ukraine in these weird dealings that this kid had where he was taking his own customer's money and like putting it in all these weird risky investments. And it looks like right. some of it was being laundered through Ukraine. Right. So this kid, uh, what's his, his name is... Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried started this crypto exchange that a bunch of people invested in. He became a billionaire overnight, and then he became one of the top donors to the Democrat Party because his mom, it was his, his mom was a major donor and had all these connections. So he's suddenly out of nowhere making billions, contributing all this money to the Democrat Party. Uh, it, what it turns out is that Money sent to Ukraine as part of military aid to fight Russia was then invested by Ukraine into his FTX cryptocurrency exchange. Then that those billions of dollars given to the exchange have just disappeared now that the exchange has gone bankrupt. It seriously looks like that whole the whole idea of that crypto exchange was essentially just a way to launder US tax dollars into the pockets of who knows who. It's exactly like, and see, this is the thing. I can see that story and I go, oh, okay, you were essentially using the American foreign policy and these wars to launder American taxpayer dollars into private pockets. Well, that's not new because the same thing was alleged a lot with the war on terror. 
in Afghanistan, I know there was a whole series of leaks talking about how U.S. US taxpayer dollars that were being spent in Afghanistan were being spent with all of these weird little military contracting companies that were just popped up out of nowhere to do things like spend $10 million to build a single well, and then the money disappears. It was earmarked by Congress as part of these billions of defense spending. $10 million disappears to this company to build a single well, and then the company goes, quote, bankrupt and disappears. This was alleged numerous times during Iraq and Afghanistan because everybody was writing blank checks and there was no investigations into all of this. And it seems like things like this, where they were sending taxpayer dollars to Ukraine, the Ukrainian government was investing in this cryptocurrency exchange. The money then just disappears and the exchange goes bankrupt and nobody investigates. Seems like the exact same playbook by the exact same people that were in that were also in charge during Iraq and Afghanistan. It's a, it's a continuation of the same grift of U.S. taxpayer dollars through the excuse of fighting these wars overseas. And that's what I find so interesting about this. Now, I believe there's also a reaction from numerous Democrat politicians saying, oh, boy, isn't that so bad? This whole stock exchange went bankrupt, billions of dollars. Well, we can't investigate it, but we should make new regulations that regulate all future cryptocurrency exchanges. At least that's that's what I've seen. And it's, it's, I think it's a fascinating kind of deal. Anyway, uh, so that's that's kind of about this crypto exchange. And that's these little stories pop up every now and then that give you a look inside this sort of political mess. Things like the Clinton Foundation, like all, all of these things pop and you realize this is so much bigger than just politics. It's a way people enrich themselves. It's a way they enrich their children. It's this entire, like when we say the global elite, what I mean is this class of people that are essentially acting as parasites enriching themselves through these weird back channels through foreign policy through u.s policy and a lot of it is through our tax dollars the government spends billions and billions and billions every year and they just sort of siphon off a portion of that and distribute it amongst themselves it's like how many millions or hundreds of millions did the clintons essentially grift through their connections with the state department and how many other people are doing this this is what makes me suspicious as heck about republican congressmen and senators. I worry that a lot of them are doing these same corrupt little games, enriching themselves, enriching their families. And if we try to stop it, to change, to reorient the direction of America to something that actually serves us, they're going to align with Democrats to stop us doing that because we're going to be shutting off the gravy train to both Democrats and Republicans. So that's, that's what worries me. Anyway, looks like Aaron has uh, <laughs> uh, had to leave the show real quick, and uh, I guess that's that. So it's now up to me. So that's what I got. That's that's kind of what some of the things that I've been on track this week. Honestly, a lot of my focus has been on the. Anyway, everybody have a wonderful day. It's been great having this show with you. <laughs>